I might need something out of here and I might not. We'll see how time goes. <clears throat> Have you ever um, felt really in need of a quiet place of quiet rest? Nobody's nodding. So maybe not. I felt really in need sometimes of a place of quiet rest. And I think we can look at it two ways. I tend to look at it two ways. Number one, you can talk about um, in your closet that Jesus says, go into your closet. And when you've entered in, get in your, yeah, I didn't say get on your knees, but pray to your father, which is in heaven. And you can, you can create a quiet little closet and it's focused quietness. But there's also a learning to walk in a quiet rest all day, every day. <clears throat> I want to learn more of that. To walk in a quiet rest. There's a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, not just in my closet. And I believe that in, in closet life. But also, I, I think we all believe also in um, living daily life in quiet rest. Life doesn't tend to feed us whatever feeds quiet rest. I don't think the world likes quiet rest. Just talking with a brother yesterday and there's a young man that he's working with trying to influence. And whenever it gets quiet, he gets fidgety. He's uncomfortable. But when we're right with God and we come to that place of learning to walk in quiet rest, a pressure comes and if you're anything like me, you get a little tense and what's going to happen here and what's going to happen here and whether it's a deadline or it's a whatever it is, different ones of us are pressured different ways and it just kind of builds and builds and we realize we're doing this and doing... Oh yeah, quiet rest. That isn't necessarily what I was going to say. I just like that. Um, I like that song. I like that picture. And not only, again, there's two, two different aspects. There's the closet life aspect and there's the walking everyday aspect. May God teach us how to walk in that. Well, <clears throat> greetings to each of you this morning. I'm, uh, we're happy to be here with you this morning. Glad we get to be here with you this morning. <clears throat> um, I've seen a lot of your faces, but I don't know a lot of names and how to place them all and Maybe that's a little bit the same with me. Uh, you've maybe heard my name and maybe seen my face, but I can put it together. Or maybe you already have. Some of us have. <clears throat> I was very blessed this morning with the opening um, trust. And I thought, well, he, in some senses, already shared a little bit of what I want to share. And I had two things on my heart. And I actually have them both here. So I thought, well, I could take what he shared as he already said it, so I don't need to. So I can share with the other thing that's on my heart. Or I could take it as a confirmation that, okay, Lord, this is something that maybe you would like your people to hear here. And so then I should focus on that. So I'm not sure which way to go. I told Laura last night, I'm afraid I'm going to do this morning what I wouldn't ever recommend anyone doing. And that is try to share two things. So I think maybe I'll try. We have supper <laughs> I won't do that to you. Um, so I think I'm going to try. And um, 
I, I told her, she kind of knew, she kind of said the words for me. She said, yeah, because if you share two things, then they won't remember either one. <clears throat> right. But I'm gonna, I, I might try. We'll see how time goes. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for this place of quiet rest. And I pray you would help me, even right now, to rest in that place of quiet rest. Near to God. Help my heart to be there, Lord. And help me not to care about me or how I sound, but to care about you and your people. So that um, it can be a blessing this morning, Lord. That's my prayer. Would you, be a, would you minister to us? Make this profitable, Lord. We're going to use one hour or however long times, I don't know, a hundred and some of us. It's a lot of hours, Lord, added up. Will you make this profitable time? Amen. <clears throat> I... Um, as I started thinking about sharing something here with you all and began thinking and praying and meditating, uh, it was a little bit scary. I'll admit it was a little bit scary. I don't really know you. You don't really know me. And I don't know what all has been happening in your lives. Um, I, and I want to say this in a right way. I have heard a few things of the wrestles God has allowed to come your way. And I haven't, I, I think God has allowed some wrestles, a lot of need for communication, working together. And I don't, again, I really don't know a lot, but I've um, just heard a few things. And so it makes me feel, Lord, don't, don't let me say the wrong thing. I don't know what the trigger words are. I don't know what the conversations are. I don't know what the leanings of certain people are and the tendencies. And you know what I'm saying. We all have those things. You all standing up here, have a lot more knowledge and, and a feel and realize if I say this, brother so-and-so might think this. And if I say this, sister so-and-so might think this, right? Am I wrong? I don't know that. And in some senses, that's freeing. But in other senses, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I don't know what the wrong thing is sometimes. So just know that my heart is this morning to, um, how does it say, lift up the hands that hang down and support the feeble knees. If there's any here that are just a little feeble, a little tired, a little weary, um, there's a rest. Maybe that will connect with what we're saying. Walking in that rest. So anyway, know that that's my heart here this morning. Um, I would like us, how about if we all, I think we all know Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. How does that start? Someone tell me how it starts. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Thank you. Trust in the Lord. Can we just all say that together? Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. I'm going to turn to it here. You don't need to turn to it. I want you to just say it. We're going to say it all together. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 3. All of us together. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Keep going. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I think that last verse actually goes along. Verse 7. We usually stop at 5 and 6, but I think 7 goes along. Just listen to it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We already heard that a little bit this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not on your own understanding. No, lean on what I think and my perspectives. And I know we have to think and meditate, but lean not, God says, on on your own understanding in all your ways. All your ways. Your ways of work, your ways of in marriage, your ways of relating to brothers and sisters, your ways of in all your ways. Acknowledge him. And he shall. Thank you, Lord. Has that ever comforted anyone? He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise, but I think this is key in this trust in the Lord and not leaning to your own understanding. Be not wise in your own eyes, your own opinion. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Picture with me just a little bit. See all these white curtains here. This will work just great. I want you to picture a picture from that side all the way over to this side. And there's a picture back here. In fact, I'm going to guess there is. Yep. This works good. There's a picture back there. And this picture is not the picture that's actually back there. Some of you probably know that. But the picture that's back there is a picture that God has painted of your life and your brother's lives, your sister's lives, and the lives of what God has in your surrounding, your um, circle of influence and connection. And God has it all painted out from the beginning All the way to the end. God has it already all painted. He knows what's there. You and I don't see a lot of it. We see just little bits. And most of it's past and a little bit of present. So I'd like us just to picture right here a small little hole. And so you and I, as we look at the picture of our life, we see this little hole. And most of us are fairly concerned about ourselves. Because we're really interested in how this picture is and how it affects me. And so we'll peer through this hole and try to know, Lord, what, what's going on in this picture of my life? What's happening? I don't understand. All I can see is this, you know, a little small little bit, but I really don't know what's out here and all the way over here and all the way over there. But God has it all intricately understood and he understands it all. And we're peering through a little hole. And I want us just to think, what if through that little hole, and I'm going to paint a picture, it doesn't necessarily have to do with your life or mine, but what if through that little hole, you could see a, a, the, the top of a mountain peak and, and maybe a, a cliff off to the side, and it's, it surely must be beautiful down there, and this wonderful, beautiful picture of a mountain peak, and on the very top of it stands a, a beautiful, I don't know, elk. And his antlers are spread way out. And you can look at that picture and it is beautiful. I'm not talking about necessarily the picture of your life, but I'm just wanting to paint a little picture here for you. And if you would look at this picture, you would think, wow, if that was a picture of my life, wouldn't that be beautiful? You know, there he stands in his splendor, glorifying God because of his power, the strength, the beauty of the mountains. There's probably a river down there and you can just picture this beautiful setting. But remember, all we see is a little hole. What if God would allow us to see another little hole or this picture, if I painted this or someone else painted this, and I would pull back a little spot right up here and right up here, there's here, here down. Here's where you see your elk and right up here. All of a sudden you realize there's a man in a tree stand. 
And he's pointing something down like this. No, let's say, let's skip the tree stand. He's just in the tree. Got to think ahead to make it work with the rest of the picture here. He's sitting in a tree and he's aiming his rifle. And all of a sudden, if you're an animal lover, this is terrible. If you're a hunter, this is wonderful. So depending on who you are, but your emotions just change a little bit, right? You got another little glimpse and a little hole up here. And there he sits with his gun ready. And you think, you know, I can't see everything between here and here. I don't know for sure that he's going to kill it. In fact, it might look like he's off a little bit. But, you know, there he is, a man with a gun aimed in the general direction. And, and there's the elk. Okay, the picture changes again. And I'm going to open up a little spot of this picture. Remember, this picture is massive and God has it all intricately designed. But up a little spot up here, down here was your elk and over here was your... Uh, your hunter, and or it looks like a hunter at any rate, a man in a tree with a gun. And then up here, another one, not, not far from the, the man in the tree, I open up another little spot. And there, you see a muscular, powerful bobcat already having leapt off his branch, headed right towards the hunter. And it's seconds from him being grabbed around the neck and killed. And now, all of a sudden, the picture changes again. Oh, the poor man. I mean, he's he has a half of a second to go. And you realize the bobcat is going to overtake him. Now your thoughts and perspective of this picture have totally changed. How many times? Two or three times? Now, let's... Here, here, was, here was your elk and here's your man and up here's your bobcat. Now, down over here, I open up another little hole. And in this little hole, if you peer through it, there's another man and he's hiding in some underbrush. And you're not sure what's happening, but there's another man hiding and you realize, oh, I actually think the man in the tree was angry at the man in the bush and was trying to kill him, not the elk. And now your perspective of the whole picture and the man in the tree changes again, right? Oh, now you're not sure if you feel as sorry for the man. I mean, we should from God's perspective. And he's a lost soul. If he's going to kill another man, there's probably anger and, you know, he'll end up in hell. So we can have concern for him. But all of a sudden, your your mercifulness for that man might be different. And then if you would know the story of the anger and why he wants to kill another. What I'd like us to realize is we don't see the whole picture. We're peering through a small little hole looking at what our life holds. And we're looking through that hole, and sometimes it looks really bad, and it looks discouraging. Other times when we peer through that hole, it's exciting. And maybe God carves out a little more on this side, and we get to see more. And He carves out a little more on this side, and we get to see more. And, and sometimes when the picture continues, we see different aspects of that picture. Sometimes we're extremely discouraged. Then other times... We can be extremely encouraged. But really, did the picture change? Did the one who painted the picture lose control, gain control at different times during this? Did, did you know, was anything ever out of control or ununderstandable? If we were able to do this, Pull back the curtain and see it all. 
And know as we are known, like we'll get to do someday. You think it'd look a little different? I think it would look different. And you know what? That God who painted this picture, painted the picture of my life, and he painted the picture of your life, says this. Trust me. Rest in me. Trust in me with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he's saying, son, daughter, Mickey, I'll direct your paths. Trust me. Don't, don't get so worried and fretful when the picture doesn't look so good. Trust me. There was a time years ago in our family, I don't know how much you know of, of uh, my parents. Well, maybe I didn't figure it out. Maybe 25 years ago where we went through some very, very difficult times. And if I would have, and that's all I could see at that time, looking through that hole, it was very discouraging. It was very discouraging for my mother, for my father, for all of us children. It was hard. Um, there were some things that my father wasn't right with God with, and it was making a mess. My mother, and again, this is 25 years ago, please, all forgiven under the blood, you know, years ago, all behind us. I'm not trying to say anything negative at all about my parents. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you lots of positives if you want them. I love and respect them deeply. They pulled us through those difficult times, and God did a work. And, but I didn't see that at that time. All we saw was this little hole, and it was, it was bad. It was to the point sometimes where even uh, Mama said she would find me at times as a, oh, I don't know, 10-year-old boy laying on my bed just in the middle of the day just staring at nothing because of the agony that was going on inside of me and around us. It was a little, sometime, it might have been a little later, but uh, Mom and Daddy gave me a little... Uh, plaque, a little uh, picture frame with a little plaque in it, set on, set on my desk and it said, uh, trust me, Mickey, I have everything under control. And it was signed as if Jesus wrote it. Trust me, Mickey, I have everything, everything under control. The whole picture. You just see through a little hole, but I have the whole picture. Trust me, I have everything under control. As if written by Jesus. Another one Mama gave me was, when you trust, you do not worry. And when you worry, you do not trust. And one more during that time, something that uh, I remember. Trust him when dark doubts assail you. Trust him when your faith seems small. Trust him when to simply trust him is the hardest thing of all. And it's hard as you look through your little hole and you realize, Lord, it doesn't make sense. Trust him. Do we have markers? I didn't bring any. I'm sorry. If it's difficult, we can let it go. Um, <clears throat> to a black, uh, not but magic marker, not a black magic marker, a wipe off marker. What have you called him? <clears throat> I'd like to share what I'm going to title this morning. Um, <clears throat> If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, 
The title of uh, half of what I'm going to share, maybe, we'll see, is um, Trusting God, Thank You. We got them here. I have what I need. Thank you. Did I say Matthew 14? Trusting God through agony. You know, that word might seem a little strong, and I thought about it. I looked, I, I thought about it a little bit. I probably should have come up with a little different word because I don't necessarily mean it extremely strong. But for me, at that time I mentioned to you in my life, there's some agony that happens in my heart. I had another one. My wife and I had another one as, and you know, we could all come up with lists of different agonies that we've gone through in life. We had one just a year, year and a half ago. When we felt God made it clear that um, he was done with us, mostly through my uh, lack of physical health, that he was done with us in Zanzibar. That was work. Um, We'd spent years there. We expected to be there. That's where our hearts were. That's where we expected to be. We loved the people. We loved our group that we were working with. We loved the needy ones around us. And God said, all done. And we didn't know what was ahead. Our little hole was kind of hard. It was kind of agonizing. Tears, prayers, questions, wanderings. The picture didn't make sense at that point. Honestly, it still doesn't necessarily. But that's okay. Because he sees the whole picture. I don't. We did to trust him through agony. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. We, we know the picture here. I want to just go through this a little bit slowly and look at the agony that the, the disciples went through. They went through some agony also. And let's just watch how it unfolded. And let's remember this, how it unfolds in light of the picture. You and I know the whole picture. You and I know what Matthew chapter 14, unless we start reading, if you haven't read it yet, you already know what the picture really is going to turn out like. But they didn't. All they saw was a little bit of it. Let's go through it with them and just see what we can learn. Uh, Ultimately, we'll come back and we're going to look at three different aspects. Number one will be the call to agony. The next one will be the confusion of agony. And the third one the consequence of agony. We need to learn to trust God through all of these. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship 
and to go before him unto the other side. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples. Disciples, I want you to hop in this ship and I want you to boat to the other side. Now, the disciples didn't know what was going to come, but God did. And here, they were told to do something, and they obeyed. All right, Lord, here we go. We're going to obey, we're going to hop in a ship, and we're going to follow. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. He left them. Not only did he send them and put them in a boat, now we find him leaving them, going apart to pray. So the disciples are alone. They're going to enter, we know what's going to happen, they're going to enter a very difficult, agonizing time in their life. They're going to enter that, and they were told to. And they were then left alone as Jesus went up into the mountain, and they were left by themselves. And when evening was come, he was there alone. Jesus was alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And when evening was come, he was alone. So they must have left before evening. So they left before evening. And we'll note as we get down further here, we're going to find uh, the fourth watch of the night. What time is the fourth watch of the night? It's almost morning. So it... it it's still they still called it night. If if basically a watch, if we go the first watch of the night would start at six to nine. Second watch would be nine to twelve. Third watch would be twelve to three, and then the fourth watch would be three to six. So they were sent before evening, because when when it became evening, Jesus was already alone. So they were sent before evening, and all the way through the night, I don't know how much of this time they were in their agony. I don't know how much of the time. But when it came to close to morning, most of the night was through. The wind was contrary. The ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Have you ever felt like you're in a boat? You've been sent on a mission. You felt like God led you there. You you think he said to go. And here you find yourself on a boat. And you're alone. And the wind is contrary. Right? I felt like I've been there. You ever felt like that? You're peering through a little hole, and it doesn't make sense. Alone, sent to be drowned, and all alone, sitting in a boat that's rocking terribly, and the people with you and you think this is probably the end. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now remember, don't get excited yet. This is still terrible. Because the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying... It's a spirit. See, they didn't realize the bobcat and the, or whatever I call it here, the bobcat and the man with the gun and the other one height. They didn't see it all yet. They didn't realize what was going to happen. They didn't know it was Jesus. And so terrible upon terrible upon terrible keeps being heaped up. Sent. Left alone. Terrible winds. Now there's something walking to them on the sea and they said it's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. That's a pretty nasty picture. Just looking right here. I mean, this one isn't, but if you could see what they could see, that's a really nasty picture. Lord, I'm supposed to rest. There's a place of quiet rest in a place like this. For a Christian, there is. 
when you're sent into difficulties, the boat's rocking and turning and going this way and that way. And then on top of it, fear and there's a place of quiet rest. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them and said, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. The opening of seeing whatever else that was, I'm sure totally changed their perspective again. Remember, the waves are still roaring. They're in this boat. They thought they're going to sink. They thought it was a spirit. And all of a sudden, God allowed the curtain to be pulled back just a little bit more. And they saw a little bit more of the picture. And they said, oh, it's Jesus. I don't imagine all their fears totally dissipated. But I'm going to guess the whole picture changed pretty fast. Oh, master, is it my master in the midst of the seas, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the aloneness, in the midst of the waves, in the midst of I thought about death? It's my master. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, Peter changed something inside of him changed. He in in, in the, at, at that instant when he realized it's Jesus, something changed and he said, Lord, If it be thou, bid me to come to thee on the water. Do you like that faith? Sometimes we're kind of hard on Peter, but did James have the faith to step out on the water? Maybe he did, but we don't have it here. Did Thomas, did did John have the faith to say, Lord, I'll step out on the water and I'll start. So we can be a little hard on Peter, but remember, Peter had the faith to do it. Sure, his faith was small. His faith didn't carry him through like it should have, but... He had that much faith. So, all of a sudden, from being afraid he's going to die, really thinking this is probably the end, fear of a spirit, all of a sudden now he's saying, I'll walk on water. Have your emotions ever done that? Maybe it's a conversation with husband and wife and you're working through things and the one time the poor old waves are rolling then you have a nice talking. Whew! You know, you could walk on water. Thank you, Lord. Or maybe it's in a church setting. I know those times where you come home from one brother's meeting and and then you have another meeting and well, up you come and the waves, the tempest. Lord, what is happening here? All I see is just a little bit here and a little bit here and it doesn't make sense. But Peter said, bid me to come on the water and Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus and his mercy He knew. He knew Peter wasn't real strong. He knew Peter was a little bit weak. He knew Peter had problems. I don't know how much Jesus and his physical form knew. I don't know if he knew that Peter's faith is going to fail him. I'm not sure how much his deity and his humanity worked together. I don't understand how much it all was. But God had it perfectly lined out. But God knew in this picture, Peter's going to sink. But he still appreciated the little faith that arose up in Peter. He said, Peter, come. Come, Peter. Why don't you come join me out here? The boat's over there. I'm out here. I don't know. I remember thinking, maybe some of you children wonder that too. I wondered it. How do you walk on water when there's waves going like this? Do the waves lap over you and you just stand on level ground? Or does your level ground go up and down? It might seem a little funny, but I don't know. That didn't enter Peter's mind. His faith overwhelmed his sense of what? Rationale. Rationale. Good, good, rational person would never do such a thing. 
His faith overcame it and he said, Lord, in the midst of it all, I'll step out. And you know what? When he stepped out, it was solid. It was solid. These waves that were crashing inside the boat almost to kill him, he actually rose above the tempest, stood on top of it, and walked where Jesus walked. Hallelujah! Come, Peter. Peter, get out of the ship. Well, he stepped out. But when he saw the wind, his rationale kicked back in, brother. Boisterous, he was afraid. Uh Uh-oh. Now my faith almost got me into trouble. Beginning to, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. All of a sudden his emotions are down again. Right? All of a sudden, a little more of the picture, or maybe that was his own drawing on the picture. Maybe Peter went in there and messed up with his own marker and messed the picture a little bit. I'm not sure. But his doubts came in, and he starts sinking. Immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, picked him up, and said, Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I'm so thankful for that. Even in the midst of my little faith, I had a little bit. Little faith, okay? Not, not that you didn't have any faith, Peter. But I had a little bit. Sometimes in the midst of my little bit of faith, there's stumbling. And faith takes a step back. And I start sinking. Cry out again. And there's his hand. Little faith. Merciful, our merciful Father. Yes, his standards are high. Yes, he longs for pure holiness, faith-filled men who... Conquer mountains. Do exploits, to use Daniel. But when my faith fails a little bit, and I start to sink, and I'm looking at the waves around me again, I focus on a different part of the picture, so to speak. He reaches out. Peter, oh thou of little faith, and he gives me his hand. Brothers, reach out your hand. Sisters, reach out your hand when you feel like you're sinking. And I realize you need to apply this to your life. I don't know your life situation. I don't know what you're wrestling with, what you're struggling with, but... We all need to learn to trust God through agony, through difficulties, through not understanding. O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. There is a place of quiet rest near to Jesus, right? Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, of a truth, thou art The Son of God. That's the culmination. When we really get to see the picture, and it's all pulled back, and we know exactly what's there, we're going to worship. And we're going to worship. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday, all will bow. We want to do it now. We don't want to wait till we're forced to. I know we don't. We want to do it now. Let's bow and worship Even when the boat seems like it's about to sink. And the waves are crashing in. And God, I I, I don't understand what's happening in my life. Stop and worship anyway. Those of us of little faith need to stop and worship anyway. (laughs) The call... To agony. Verse 22 
through 23. That's what we looked at. Here we have Jesus actually asking the disciples to go into something that is going to be very, very difficult. Lord, uh, they could have easily asked. Crashing around in that boat, they could have looked back and said, did he actually ask me to come here? I mean, would Jesus ask me to come, end up in a boat that's just about to sink? I'm going to say yes. I think sometimes, there's through our life, there will be a call in our lives. Follow this way, son. And we'll end up walking on it, and it's a terrible, painful mess. And we're going to say, Lord, was that you? And what I want us to realize is, the call that comes to us doesn't always mean, no, we know this, but doesn't always mean ease, nice. You know, our idea of quiet rest. Our idea of quiet rest and God's idea of what He wants us to learn to live in quiet rest might be different. In fact, usually are. As we grow, I'm trusting that we can learn a little more of God's perspective. But He actually calls us to that. I want you just to think about, I'm going to look at, we're going to look at three examples and follow those three examples down through each of these. We're going to look at the example of, we're going to look at the example of David. We're going to look at the example of, I'm just going to put them in the same order I have here, Paul. And we're going to look at, just briefly, the example of Macedonian call. Just think about David with me a little bit. Here he is out watching sheep. And he gets pulled away from his sheep. And he comes into a setting. And there's the prophet of God choosing him out of all his brothers, out of all his tribe, out of all the tribes, wanting to anoint him and make him king. That was a call. But do you know what David had to go through? Do you think David ever wondered when a javelin came flying at him and he's sitting in front of Saul? Do you think he ever wondered, Lord... A call to what? Did you call me to this agony? God, did you actually mean call me to be sitting here and have to dodge a javelin getting thrown at me? Did you call me, Lord, to be chased like a dog through the mountains, trying to be killed? Sit with him in the back of a cave. They're in the back of a cave. Here's David in the back of a cave with his men. And in walks Saul. And David knows it. What, what part, how much of the picture did he see in all this? I don't know. He wouldn't touch him. He wouldn't kill him. Okay, wouldn't touch him. He cut off some of his robes. Maybe he touched him. But he wouldn't kill him. Somehow, David knew a little bit about this. He knew a little bit about not being... What's your word again, brother? Rational. rational. Not necessarily being rational in everything that I do. Rationality would have clearly... His men said, chop off his head, David. Somehow David had a little bit of a more of an eternal perspective and he was willing to buy faith. Uh, no, sorry. By faith. Right? It didn't make sense. He didn't know what was going on and he made the right decision anyway. By faith. Lord, I don't know if he said this, but I tend to think he must have said something like this. Read the Psalms. God, you've called me into this, into this agony. And David was faithful. And I'm not saying he didn't make mistakes, but he was faithful. 
In the midst of his agony, he was called to it. He was faithful. Paul. Remember when Paul was called? Remember what he said? He said, God was saying this, for I will show him, Paul, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. What, Lord? I'll show you how difficult things are going to be because you're going to follow me. I've wondered before. Maybe I'll do it. I've never done it, but I think I might someday. Share a message on the difficulties of the Christian life and I'll say, who would like to follow Christ? Isn't that a little bit what he was doing? It's going to be difficult. It's going to be rough. And this is bad. It's going to happen. And this is... Now, would you like to follow Jesus? That's, that's a little bit of what the call, of call to agony is. Let's not become worried. Let's not be, be, let's by faith when we're staring like this and it doesn't make sense. What the picture that I see looks different. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Let's remember. Sometimes he calls us to agony. Remember the Macedonian call? The Macedonian call, I used to have this picture. The Macedonian call was wonderful. It was glorious. Come over and help us. You know, Paul had this vision. And, and I, ha- I, I don't know if I ever prayed a prayer straight out. But Lord, would you give us a Macedonian call as we minister in Tanzania? Show us where you want us to serve and work. And, and we can each have that. Lord, what's your call on our lives? And do you know what they did after the Macedonian call? They straightway went to Philippi, which was the chief city of Macedonia. And they preached and they got thrown in jail. And that's the story of Paul and Silas. Sit with them just a little bit. Your back torn to shreds. You don't see the whole picture. We know it. Okay, We think it's wonderful. And we like to tell our children about it. This was awful. Back torn to shreds. Sitting in a dungeon. Feet in stalks. Did it say feet and hands? I don't remember for sure. Feet and hands were in stalks. But they were... They, you know what stalks are, children? You know, basically, it's, it's a hole in some wood and there's a piece on top. And so you put your foot here and your foot here and you're stuck. Because the hole is just, just big enough for your ankle, but not big enough for your foot to come through. They were sitting there in a miserable, stinky prison. Their backs torn to blood and nasty. And here they are, just having heard the Macedonian call. Macedonian call? Lord, are you sure you called me to this? Did I just have a dream? Was it the enemy that gave me that dream? You know, all those kind of... I don't know that they had those thoughts, but I've had those kind of thoughts. Did I really follow you? Or maybe it was the enemy that gave me that Macedonian call. And that's, here I am, having not followed you, stuck in... It doesn't seem they had that. Maybe they wrestled and talked about it, but ultimately, what did they do? Children, what did they do? Someone under 15, tell me. What did they under under 12 tell me? What did Paul and Silas do? Anyone? Yeah, son. Timothy. They sang and they prayed. Backs bleeding. Feet in stalks. Probably miserable. If you've been to a third world country, picture some of that kind of stuff. Down in the dungeon. Dirt and mud and stink and slime and who knows what all. And they sat there having just been beaten. And they, maybe Paul looked over Silas. Silas. You all right, Silas? Yeah, I'm all right. Silas, let's start that song. I don't know what song, but maybe this, maybe he said, let's sing that song. Um, what's the trust and obey? Yeah, trust and obey. I don't know what song they started. All right, Paul, let's go. And they sang. 
when the picture looked nasty. They accepted the call to agony. They accepted it. They said, Lord, we're going to follow through. We're going to be faithful. Trusting God through agony, we need to accept the call that comes our way that may not make sense to agony. Let us not waver. We have the confusion of agony. In verses 24, verses 24 through 30. Got green here, don't I? Okay. 24 through 30. We have the confusion of agony. You know, when you're in the midst of this agony that God is calling you through, and it's difficult, and the waves are pounding, emotions sometimes go flying up and then crashing down. Flying up and crashing down. Confusion in the midst of your agony is common. Remember the apostles? They they were obeying Jesus, hopping in a boat. They had had a good day, and it had been a wonderful day with Jesus teaching and all the things that happened that day. They were hopping in the boat, and I'm going to guess they were probably okay, feeling all right. And they hop in the boat, and Jesus is going up on the mountain. Jesus told them what to do. We're going to obey. Here we go. Feelings, emotions, thoughts, they're okay. All of a sudden, the waves start coming. What's, What's going to happen? What's going on here? Well, we better work. And all of a sudden, their life becomes at stake. And this is terrible, and... And picture Peter, and he's afraid. And then it even gets worse if they see something walking along and they fear it's a spirit. And, and you are at the bottom of agony. And then all of a sudden you have Jesus, and he says, Come, Peter, it's me, it's me. Woo! The feelings go from down there, and they go flying up, and he says, All right, let's go, Lord, I'll step out on this water. And all of a sudden, they come crashing down again as his feet start getting wet. And maybe it came up to his knees and he's wasting. I don't know how far it came up. And his feelings went crashing down again. You know, a little bit of the picture. And you think, oh, this is great. Another little bit of the picture. Oh, it's terrible. Another little bit of the picture. Boy, I'll be okay. Another little picture. This must be the end. Confusion in the midst of agony is normal. We're humans. We don't see the whole picture. As your feelings go like this, let's be faithful. In the midst of agony, let's be faithful. Whatever the trial that's coming our way. Sure, emotions will go up and down. Let's allow them to go up and down. That's okay. God made us that way. But in the midst of it, let's be committed that faith will go through whether feelings are down, whether feelings are up. By faith, we're walking on. In this world, there's a reason that a book titled When God Doesn't Make Sense sells over a million copies. Right? A book title, and I don't recommend the writer or the book. Just title, When God Doesn't Make Sense. And it sells over a million copies. There's a reason. We want to rationalize and figure things out. And it doesn't make sense to me why I'm going through all this. Let's remember, we don't see the whole picture. When feelings are up and down, just quickly, David had many times of up and down. Remember David? Javelin coming. And then he's best friends with Jonathan. And then Saul says, okay, he's okay, let him come back. And then he comes back. Oh, I could have backed up. And we could look at David and Goliath because of time here. Right? You see him up and down, up and down through his call. And then he's being chased. And then Saul says, okay, you're free now. And, and then he's in front of Agag. Remember that? And they tried to kill him and he acted like mad. And I mean... He, A lot of confusion. Lord, what is happening? 
in the midst of this agony. Um, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul sometimes was rejoicing at what God was doing. Other times, remember he was saying, I, um, uh, Demas hath forsaken me and he's left me. At first, no one stood with me, he says another time. And he was on a shipwreck. And he was, I'm sure, his call brought some confusion. There was confusion in his agony. God, what is happening in the midst of this clear call that you've placed on my life? And we could also look at the Macedonian call, the Apostle Paul and uh, um, Paul and Silas. As they got the Macedonian call. I, what do you think when they woke up that morning? Silas. What do you think that means? Come over and help us. And he explains the dream. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, what's God doing? I, I think we need to go and straightway they're leaving. I doubt they left with dragging feet. Oh boy, we got to go to Macedonia. I doubt it. That'd be exciting. We got a call. We're going to, God's telling us where to go, where to serve. We left on our missionary journey to serve him and God's saying, do this. And so they're excited. And then, you know, they, they preach and there's some people that come and then they're beaten and they're stuffed and, in, in their cell. And, and then the man comes. Then there's the earthquake. What's going on? Probably a little bit of confusion. What's going on? And maybe they had the faith they could see through it. I'm not sure. But they think they were human too. And the man comes and says, What must I do to be saved? Now we're headed back up again, right? But what it is, is we're looking tunnel vision. We're looking through our little hole. Can we, brothers and sisters... Not allow the confusion of agony to discourage us. It will be confusing sometimes. Why, God, do you have me here? Why am, in the, why am I in this difficulty? Why this mess? Why does it have to be like this? And it's confusing. Yeah, it will be confusing sometimes. But let's remember, we don't see the whole picture. Okay? Let's trust God through our agony, through our school, through our, our uh, lesson in agony. He's on the throne. He's in control of it all. The consequence of agony. Verses 31 through 33. If we look at the apostles now. (coughs) The apostles, there's a consequence. There's a result. If we walk through trusting God through our agony, though it's difficult and there's wrestles, there can be a result, a consequence if we walk on. Faithfully, there was a consequence. The disciples, verse uh, 31 through 33. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and he helped him to feel the hand of our master. Wrap his fingers around mine. Lift me up in the midst of my agony and bring me back to the boat. And the storm become calm and I fall down and I worship and I say of a truth. This is my Lord and my Master. He's in control of it all. Now that I see the picture, I get excited. There's a result. As we go through these things, there's a consequence and we get to worship as we realize, oh, the picture doesn't look that bad after all. In fact, the picture's wonderful. It's good if I'll be faithful and trust God through all of this. We all know that going through agonies of our life, we all say you can become bitter or better, right? We want to become better. 
This call to agony that our Lord Jesus gives us at times through our life, He's calling us into difficult things. It's because He wants to refine us. Maybe you've heard the illustration, what do you want to be? Aluminum that's worthy of being made into a child's toy? Or aluminum that's worthy of being used to make an airplane? Aluminum for a child's toy doesn't have to be very strong. doesn't have to go through a lot of fire. It can still have a good bit of dross in it and it's fine. But if you're trusting that piece of metal to fly you at five miles above the earth, better be good stuff. You and I don't just want to be child's toys. Listen to this here. A bar of steel worth $5 is worth about $10 when wrought into horseshoes. Doubled its value by being molded Shaped, heated, squashed, smashed, beaten. It doubled its value. If made into needles, it's worth $350. Now it, I don't know how many times its value. But do you think little needles get made without any heat? Without any difficulty? Without any purification? If into pin knife blades, it's worth close to $32,000. Okay? If into springs for watches, little watch springs, and it's tempered just right, $250,000 from a little five-pound hunk of steel. We're hunks of steel, brothers and sisters. We're just hunks of steel. But if we yield, and we're willing to trust Him through agony, and we realize this call might not be easy, He can form and mold and make and take this little piece of junk five dollars a hunk of steel and make it worth two hundred and fifty thousand dollars because my steel is so wonderful no because my master is saying mickey come follow me through this call of agony when there's confusion trust me why lord are you taking this solid hunk of steel that could actually be solid and strong and you're making these thin little wires that don't make sense and then you wrap them in circles and we don't even get anywhere and I don't, and you got heated up and tempered, and do you see the picture? Um, and you can realize the consequence of David and Paul and the Macedonian call. I'm just, I'm going to skip that. Well, yeah, but there were consequences. There was a result in the life of the Apostle Paul, one of the most effective men that we know of in history. I'm, I'm not going to say most, but God used him. And we know David, a man after God's own heart in the Macedonian call, resulted in a church in Philippi. <clears throat> trusting God through agony. Brothers and sisters, let's trust Him. When we only see part of the picture and it doesn't make sense in our life, let's trust Him. There was a sick dog that just was sick. And someone decided he needed some medicine. I think they decided castor oil. And they chase this dog down and he is does not like this. And he's trying to wiggle out of it. And he is just unhappy. And he is just miserable. And a strong arm goes around and wraps him tight. And another one grabs his jaw. And another one grabs his legs. And here he is being forced to take this castor oil. And it said that they put a couple of drops and all of a sudden he wanted more. This stuff's good. His perspective changed. He wanted all the castor oil they'd give him. 
Do we ever do that? God's saying, come son. Come daughter. I'm calling you here. And when we look at it, it's terrible. And we try to run from it. And we try to move from it. And we don't like it. But let's remember, our loving heavenly Father, our Lord, is saying, come. Walk through this agony. I have a reason for it. Even if you're confused, I have a reason for it. There's a reason that I'm calling you through this. There's going to be a result that in the end you'll fall down and worship. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. There was... uh, There was a little boy and his father that loved each other very much. His father always told the little boy, son, if you ever need me, I'll be there for you. Son, I want you to know, as you're growing up, if you ever need me, I'll be there for you. Well, the son continued to grow and one day he was off to school. Headed off to school, his father told him, son, remember, if you need me, I'm here for you. I'll be there for you. Little boy headed off to school and... He grew some more and one day, and a boy headed off to school, a storm came up, a terrible storm. And it was hurricane-like. And this father ran around and he settled, make sure the barn doors were closed. And he made sure everything was fine. He went to the house, made sure his wife and everything was fine. And this, this uh, storm was raging and there was no way he could go get to his son in the midst of this. He'd have just been blown off his feet. And so he just hunkered down and they waited it out. And finally the wind started slowing down the, the rain and the mess and... And um, they had made it through. Their house hadn't fallen down, but a few other houses had. And, and uh, he realized, this is bad. Maybe, maybe it was an earthquake. I kind of forget now for sure. So he headed out. He's got to go find his son. Because he knew. He told his son, son, if you ever need me, I'll be there for you. He headed out. And as he came around the corner and could see off in the distance, all the houses around were flat where the school was. And sure enough, he walks up to the school and it's flat. He starts digging and looking and searching and can't find anything. And finally others come and they dig and search and through the through that the rest of the day and into the night and finally they, they say, it's no use, let's call it off. The fire, help and all that, call it off. We need to go home. We'll come back tomorrow. Father stopped and he said, I can't. My son might need me. I've always told him, son, if you need me, I'll be there for you. He digs and digs, ends up by himself. After a while, he hears this faint noise way down in, and he wiggles his way and digs and climbs, and finally is able to pry something back. And down in there is a small group of boys. He starts helping them out, helping another one out, helping another one out. Last of all, he helps his son out. And his son looks up at him and he said, Dad, I kept telling him you'd be here. Dad, I kept telling him you'd be here. It was a son in the midst of agony that trusted his father. Brothers and sisters, let's trust him. He said he'll be there for us. Can we trust him? Even when he calls us through agony. And it's a clear call. And we're following, doing the best we know how. It might be confusing, but there will be a result. There will be a consequence. And he'll be there for us. Let's trust him. Can we do that? Father, would you help us to trust you? Help us, Lord. In the midst of our situations, 
And you know each one of our situations. You know some of mine that I don't understand. You know some of, you know all of mine. You know all of my brothers and sisters sitting here and the ones they don't understand. Lord, would you give them faith? Faith and courage and trust. To trust you that no matter what, you'll be there. Even when we don't see all the picture. Bless my dear brothers and sisters, Lord. Amen. One little boy liked the song, um, Trust and Okay. Right? Trust and Okay. That's a good song. Trust and it's okay. And that doesn't mean there's not decisions and we have to make them. And I realize, but can I try to share something else with you? Can you change gears? Maybe it's not changing gears. I don't know how much it is changing gears to you. Um, Acts 16. I'm I'm changing now, okay? You can wipe this. I don't usually do this. (laughs) So this is uh, a little different here. But if you could wipe... Wipe that off of your, uh, or turn your page, whatever you're going to do if you're keeping notes. Turn to Acts 16. And I won't take so long here, I realize. Changing like this, I'll, I'll keep it shorter here. Acts 16, verse 5. We're just jumping in here. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. That is an amazing verse so were the churches established in the faith amen so do it Lord Jesus and increased in number daily now I don't know what you think does this mean the individuals in the churches increased in number daily or the actual churches increased in number daily I'm not sure probably individuals in the churches But it actually says in a sense you could almost take that the churches. And brothers and sisters, I just want to be an encouragement. I am excited to see a church in Schaeferstown. And to see them meeting. And to see them working together as brothers and sisters. And I want to see you climb. I want to see you go on. I want to see you make it. Let me give you a little setting to that heart. That's what I long to see for Oasis Christian Fellowship or this little group in Schaeferstown. And let me give you a little perspective. Most of you know probably we were in Zanzibar for a few years. And I liked as we prayed many times we would get together as a group and we would pray for Zanzibar. And I like to picture it many times. Zanzibar is just a little island off the coast of Tanzania. And I like to picture it from a bird's eye view. You know, we tend to think, Where's God and, you know, most children and maybe some of us, I don't know, you know, we point, that's God's in heaven and heaven's above us. And so here's God's bird's eye view and he sees this little island down there. And the little island of Zanzibar is dark. It is. It's very dark. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of, um, a lot of bondage. A lot of bondage of the enemy. A lot of bondage of Islam. And it's very dark. And see if I have this here.
And just to give you a couple of illustrations of the, some of the darkness of, uh, of Zanzibar. When you live somewhere and you hear stories just coming at you and you get into people's lives and their stories and their perspectives. So I'm just going to tell you a few stories so that you realize some of the darkness. <clears throat> there was a, um, a neighbor girl who, who um, actually we related to just a little bit. And one time her sister uh, got sick. It's very common. They hauled her off to the hospital. The hospital checked her out up and down. Inside, outside, everything they could think of. And which is, and then they did what is not all too uncommon. They told her, um, there's nothing wrong with your sister. It's a Swahili problem, they said. That's the way they say it over there when there's clear um, demonic activity. They say there's nothing wrong with her body. Now, whether it's true or not, I'm not here to judge. They don't have as careful and high-tech stuff as we do. So, again, whether it's true or not, but this is their concept. There's nothing wrong with her. We can't help her. So they take her home, and one day later, a few days later, she dies from a Swahili problem. This is their concept. Again, whether she had a heart attack or not, or whether it was a physical problem, they couldn't find it, I don't know. But this is their concept. It's a Swahili problem, and she was killed by demonic forces, is their concept. Because we knew this young lady, Lara went with her to the funeral of this girl who had died. She goes to the funeral and they're all dressed in black. And she walks in, I think it was before the house or something. There was a lady over off to the side and she's sitting all huddled down and twitching. Just something odd happening to her. A little bit later, she was laying on a, on a mat and she was covered up with a cloth. And sometimes there was twitching and sometimes there was some thrashing and sometimes there was some crying out. And here's here's my wife and she's sitting at this funeral of a lady who just died, which they call a Swahili problem. They see it as uh, spiritual. And another lady laying off to the side, twitching. And and they just say, well, that's spiritual. They say, Laura asked about it and they said, yeah, she does that every time she goes to a funeral. That's just what happens. I was sitting off to the side and they're, they're kind of chanting some things over here. It's not a singing. It's a funeral, so it's not joyful singing. But they were chanting some things over there and she started listening and she realized that she thinks they're chanting uh, a little bit of a chant. Um, what was it here? I thought I had it written down. Now it went away. God, where are you? I haven't seen you. God, where are you? I haven't seen you. So just just sit with my wife in that setting. Funeral. Lady over here having spasms that happens every time she goes to a funeral. And a group of people enchanting their little song. God, I haven't seen you. Where are you? Where are you, God? I haven't seen you. It's dark. And you realize that the people will even tell you, yes, you'll see, you'll see um, even the imams slipping into... Other people's houses, other ladies' houses at night, and that's, those kind of things happen undercover. We had another neighbor. She would, she actually ended up killing one of her own babies because of her spasms. And we talked with her. Her name was Yoha. Yoha told her, Jesus had met people like this. Jesus met people who went into spasms, who couldn't control themselves, and he healed them. We believe Jesus can heal you. 
And we shared with him her the story and all that. She said, well, let me talk to my husband. She goes and talks to her husband. And it's quite a while before he actually, we actually connect him and I. And, and his response is, oh, she's getting a little better. It's okay. It's not getting better. She, um, and, and I'm just trying to paint a little picture here. So try, let me keep going here just quickly. So um, one day she had come to Lara's house and she um, all of a sudden left just fast, grabbed her baby and left. Now, she did have a baby that did live. And just a little bit later, she realized there's some people outside. She had gone outside, but she knew she was going to, she was starting to lose it. She laid her baby down right in the middle of the path and then lost control of herself. Beat herself up, beat up. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible mess. Joha, Jesus can do it. No, she said, I can't do that. My husband doesn't want me to. I'll lose everything I have. I had these, um, uh, I think some sort of an imam, I don't know what status he had, come to convert me. And he sits down and um, says, we've come tonight, they came more than once, we've come tonight and, and we just want you to share with us why you can't believe in Islam and then we'll make it right for you. And <clears throat> um, when we make it right for you, then you can be a Muslim too and join us and then we'll be happy. I said, okay. I mean, we were in discussions. This wasn't first time. This wasn't new, you know, as far as meeting them. And I said, okay, uh, let me share with you one. I said, I have quite a few of them. Here's one. So I told them about Joha, the story I just told you about, the lady who's awful, has an awful life because of her, uh, I, I believe it's probably some demonic oppression, possession. I don't know the difference for sure. And I said, um, Jesus can heal that. She has turned us down. We don't feel we can pray for her healing and he can heal her because she has said, I don't want anything to do with him. Or, I don't want to do with him. I don't want to trust him. I don't want to believe in him. I don't want healed by him. I said, one reason I can't believe in Islam is because Islam doesn't have answers for her. Can you show me the answer? Set her free from this, totally free, with a free heart. She can get back together with her husband and love him and they can be together. Can, you, can Islam do that? Well, his response to me was, um, we came to talk about you, not her. Let's deal with you first, and then we'll deal with her. And I said, but, you know, trying to make my point, but this is what you're asking me. I can't believe in Islam. Islam doesn't have this power. I see, here's proof to me that one, and we talked about many others, there's bondage. It's just dark. Oh, to be with a young man who sits up on the edge of his seat. We've talked, he lived with us actually for a while. Sits up on the edge of the couch, looks at you in the eyes and says, Mick, how can I get that kind of change that you're talking about into my life? And I got to look back at him with joy and say, Hamis, it's Jesus. Believe in Jesus Christ with all you have in your life and he'll change you. And him to look back, put his head down, say, I can't. I'll lose everything. I'll lose my family. I'll lose my... Actually, he hardly has family, but I can't do that. He actually ended up on his knees one day with Matthew, Matthew Kaufman, wanting to pray. Finally looks up at Matthew and says, Matthew, I can't. You love these people. You care about them. They know the bondage that's on them, but it's so hard. And I don't mean to all be negative. Hop on a little motorbike with me some night at 6 o'clock, and it's getting dark, actually, 6.30, and go down the road and get off the beaten path. And, and I say, motorbike, please. It's the poor man's hunky junk thing, okay? It's nothing fancy that anybody would covet. 
Motorbikes here and there are totally different. There, it's the poor man's motivation. Here, it's the wealthy man because he blows his money. Okay, None of that. So please forgive me. Not a motorbike. I don't want to feed that heart of the world that is easily in us. We hop on this little old motorbike. Go down the path, up and get off the main road, off the beaten path, onto a little small one, and you end up at a little house. And it's dark. You pull up, and it's dark. No lights, no electricity. But you hear greetings from the darkness. And they're sitting in a circle, eating their supper. And you sit down with them and chat a little bit. And after a bit, they and they uh, invite you to eat with them. And after a little bit, it's all cleared away. And oh, thank you! And see this. <clears throat> and you um, pull out your Bibles and you start to study. And you've been doing this for the weeks. And you sit there in the dark, little flashlights or a little some sort of little lights, reading your Bible. And you look around the circle. Oh, five, six faces, and you're sharing the word of truth, and some of them are getting it. Some of them are following it. And ultimately, out of that little tiny group comes a man who we have been so thankful for. He's standing strong. He's following Christ. Um, and he's standing strong against his family. He's trying to get back with his, his real wife instead of this lady he was living with. And his family's against that, and it's a horrible mess. <laughs> now I'm referring back to what I shared earlier. But do you know what he's saying? We are so thankful. I, I don't want to say, I mean, he could fail. He could. He could stumble and fall. But he only sees through this hole. But he's saying, you know what? This agony, <laughs> this wasn't my point here, but he's saying this agony that I'm going through, it proves to me I'm on the right path. He just told Jason that a couple of weeks ago. It proves to me I'm on the right path. Because didn't Jesus say, you need to leave father and mother and it'll be the way of the cross? It just means I'm on the right path. And our hearts thrill. And we have prayed from the God perspective, Lord, this island's dark. We want to see a little glimmer of light. A little candle start to burn in this dark little place of Zanzibar. We want to see a candle light up. And a group of people, your body, your church, begin to pursue holiness. And walk in godliness. And we want to see a little light flame up. And in the future, our hearts were that Another little place, there'd be another little group would flame up and there'd be a little light. Dark! But there's a little light that God gets to see. And then maybe another one could start here. And maybe another one over here. Little lights. His people. The church. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Even so, Lord Jesus, do it, was our prayer. We came back to America. Said, Lord... How is what? What's your heart for us? What? What? How do you see? How is is the kingdom of God supposed to be expanded here in America? It's quite different. It's a different perspective. It's a different, whole different thing. But you know, I just realize, and I, I'm sorry, being so childish, but I realize it's just the same. America is very dark. It's getting darker and darker and darker. And I'm thankful that I get to look some places and see a little light. And I like to see that light. And it thrills my heart. As I realized, yes, down there is a little church and there's holiness and they love each other and they're seeking to walk in holiness and they're not wanting the world to influence them and they're walking on faithfully and they're learning to work together. Is it easy? No. It's not always easy. But they're being faithful. They're trusting God. They're grasping the hands when their feet start to sink of our Lord. And He's lifting them up and they're being faithful. And there's a little light over here and there's a little one over here. A little one over here. And I'm glad that there's one in Schaefer's town. A little light burning. And 
If I would have made a whole message out of this, I would have titled it probably Oasis. Another little light. That's what you're called to, brothers and sisters. Called to be Oasis. Another little light. And I'm only using the name for whatever. I'm just here in Schaeferstown. Another little light burning. You can look at Zanzibar. And you can see us going back, hopping on this motorbike, going back into the bush and sitting down in the darkness and holding our flashlights over our Bibles. And you say, yes, the kingdom of God is being built. Brothers and sisters, you do the same thing. It's not as quaint. It's not as different. Maybe, it, maybe you can't tell as interesting a story by doing it here as I can by doing it there. But do you think that makes a difference to God? Brothers and sisters, fight. Fight that there be a light burning in Town. My heart burns to see more lights hopping up here. I'm delighted to hear that one popped. And I'm not only recognizing, saying we're the only church and all that. I realize God, God has churches way beyond just our few little churches that we might connect with. But I'm delighted to see another one pop up in Rome. And I've heard rumors of maybe somewhere else and it thrills me. God is still my prayer. Would you somehow, over America, allow me to somehow be a help to see little lights pop up here? Little groups of people pop up here. Drawing souls to you so that the churches can be established and increase in number. Not because we want bigness, but because we want souls lost in darkness to light a fire and there's a little candle. And we put a few candles together. And a few candles together. And it's a flame. Another little light in Schaeferstown. Okay, just a couple more things. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. I'll just skip over some of this here. I don't... I figured I would here, so that's fine. <clears throat> Make this kind of quick. Luke chapter 8, we know the parable of the sower. <clears throat> what God is wanting to show us in the parable of the sower is that there needs to be seed. This seed that is sown needs to bring forth what? Someone say it. Bring forth fruit. Bring forth abundant fruit. Life come out of this fruit. Not just a dead seed that gets snatched away. And the first one. Verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear. And you all know the story, so I'm just going to jump right in. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Was the seed sown? Was the seed sown? Was there any life that came forth? No life. Done. Soil number two. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no root which for a while believe it in temptation fall away. Alright. Was there seed sown? Yes. Was there life? Yes. Did it keep going? It didn't. So there was life. There was seed and there was life. But it didn't keep going. Soil number three. And that which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Was there seed? Was there life? Yes. Did it keep going? Number, soil number four. But that on good ground, and, and I could make the point here, soil number two was on the rock. 
Um, that was time of temptation. You could paint that as almost as persecution. So number three was thorns. It's, it's the choking of the world. I see those are two main things we must fight against. We're not in the time of persecution. We're in the soil that's being choked by the world. Brothers and sisters, let's not take that lightly. The world is out to kill us. Let's be out to kill it. Okay, soil number four. That's a little bit side issue. Um, but that on good ground are they which in honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with what? Patience. Okay, seed? Yes. Life? Continuing on in life? What did this soil have or what happened here that the others didn't have? It continued on with patience. And remember this King James, that's perseverance. With our life, with our spiritual life and the excitement of new life and bearing fruit and it motivates and thrills us, there must be what I term many times holy plodding, the other half of revival. You get that? Holy plodding, perseverance. And I'm calling it holy because sometimes you know you're not in the midst of revival. And it's work to put one foot in front of the other. And we have to make the right decisions whether we feel like it or not. And persevering, persevering. Do I feel in the midst of revival and excitement and things God's doing? No. God wants that sometimes. Pray, he says in, in uh, chapter 3 of Acts. And I'm just talking now. Pray, he says in chapter 3 of Acts, that um, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord would come. He wants to see revival come. He wants to see it. I long for it in some of our churches, but I do believe we're in a time, this is my perspective, brothers and sisters, that we need to learn the other half of revival right now and do some holy plotting. Let's keep going forward. That doesn't mean we're not going to seek God for times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. We must have it. But Sometimes God leaves, left him to try him to see all that was in his heart, it says. And we could look at that illustration in the Old Testament. God left him to try him. Maybe we go back to this a little bit. I didn't necessarily mean to necessarily weave these two together, but am I going too fast to make my point? There's, we, we want to see life and excitement, but there's also revival, the other half of what I call the other half of revival. And that is holy plotting one step. Another step, another step. It's not maybe as exciting, it's not as thrilling, but the, the, the fruit that keeps going, that God is excited about, is born with patience, with perseverance. Life without perseverance didn't work. Spiritual life with perseverance, with patience, holy plodding, even when you don't feel like it, making right choices, fighting against well, the one I feel we're in is the world that we need to fight against because you have two different soils there. The one's stony ground. Praise God, we're not that. The other one is persecution. I think that one's coming. But the one we're in right now mostly is the prosperity and the thorns and the thistles. We've got to fight with an eye willing and focused to fight this with perseverance. And that won't always be terribly exciting. It's going to take patience and perseverance. Would you... Be another little light, brothers and sisters. Be another little light in Schaeferstown that's going to be faithful. And you're going to walk through. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm wrong. 
I'm just going to ask you, am I wrong? Do you feel in the midst of revival and God is moving and beautiful things are happening and like, like we would love to see in the church, there's flow, there's souls coming in. Is that feel, feel like that's happening right now? Just, just a lot of that. No, no. Okay. I don't think that's all, all wrong. What I'm saying is there's the other half of revival that we need to be faithful in. Patient continuance. If you look in the word of God, also King James uses that patient continuous, holy plodding, the other half of revival. That doesn't mean we're content with this. We're going to stay here, but we're going to be willing to fight in with the cares of the life, the cares of life, the temptations that come at us. We're going to be willing to fight with patience and chop those thorns out of our life, even when there's not a lot of excitement and thrill and oasis, another little light. We'd be faithful, brothers and sisters. Okay. I'm going to read this to you. This is also a picture. I want you to take the picture. It's, it's actually a song in an old German Baptist brethren songbook. They don't have uh, notes in here. It's just the words. <clears throat> but just picture this. As sitting up, whether you're on a balcony or, or whether it's a bird's eye view like we've been looking at it. And realize someone is asking the question, what poor despised company of travelers are these? Who walk in yonder narrow way along the rugged maze? Who are these people? Ah, someone might respond, these are of a royal line. All children of a king. Heirs of, an, of immortal crowns divine and low For joy, they sing. Why do they then appear so mean? Meaning small, little. And why so much despised? Because of their rich robes unseen, the world is not apprised. But some of them seem poor, distressed, and lacking daily bread. Oh, they're of boundless wealth possessed, with hidden manna fed. Do you see, you can look at it from two different perspectives, right? The one by faith. And the one by only the little you can see. But why keep they the narrow road, that rugged, thorny maze? Why, that's the way their leader trod. They love and keep his ways. Why must they shun the pleasant path that worldlings love so well? Because that is the road to death, the open road to hell. What? Is there then no other road to Salem's happy ground? Christ. The only way to God, no other can be found. I want to be a part of that poor, despised company. And a part of a group that makes another little light where the word of God is, is seen in our lives and we get to be another little candle. And I know you want that too. Let's do our part for that. Oasis, another little light. Can we pray? Lord, You know, I, uh, I pray that you would take the words that I said, the principles we talked about, and apply them in a right way for my brothers and sisters here. Please, Lord, apply them in a right way. Help them, Lord, to trust you as they go through agonies to trust you and help them, Lord, 
to thrill at the thought of being a part of creating another little light in Schaeferstown. A little candle for Jesus. Another church that spreads his fame. Help them, Lord, to bring forth fruit with patience. Please, Lord, help them be faithful. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we trust you as each one of us knows the little agonies that you've called us to. Some of us, it's different. Some of us, it's one thing. Some of us, it's another. God, you see the agonies you've called us to. Oh, God, will you help us be faithful? Help us be faithful, Lord. Realizing you see the whole picture. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you for your patience with me. As I tried to share maybe too much.